Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Duff Differently. I'm William Friedman, and today we're studying Ketubot 32. Our Duff today turns to another topic of competing punishments, whether someone who commits a crime whose punishment is malkut, lashes, must pay a monetary fine alongside it. At the end of yesterday's Duff, the Talmud pitted the opening Mishnah of our chapter against Mishnah Makot 3.1. Our Mishnah rules that a seducer or abductor pays a fine in the same cases in which Mishnah Makot 3.1 prescribes lashes. The various solutions to the question of lashes or money will occupy the Talmud for the next several pages. Alma, Kasavar Ula, Kol Hechad Eka Mamonu Malkut, Mamonu Mishalem, Milka Lo Lake, Menale Ulaha. After a little back and forth, the Talmud concludes that the Babylonian Amora, Ula, thinks any time you have a conflict between choosing a monetary punishment or lashes, money wins. Mamona Mishalem, one pays money, milka lolake, rather than being lashed. And the Gemara asks, Menale Ulaha, what's Ula's source for this? The Gemara here is going to use two forms of reasoning, analogical and scriptural, and they're going to reveal a very interesting interpretive preference. Initially, the Gemara suggests that Ula reaches his conclusion by extending the practices of particular institutions of law. In each case, however, the Gemara will identify unique characteristics of the institution that prevent it from serving as an analogical starting point. Let's begin. Gamar me chovel bechavero. Ma chovel bechavero de ikamamanu malkut, mamonu mishale milkalo lake. Af kol hechid ikamamanu malkut, mamonu mishale milkalo lake. So the Gemara starts by saying, perhaps Ula learns it out from the case of chovel bechavero, personal injury law. That, by the way, is the topic of the eighth chapter of Bavakama, a very interesting chapter. So, how can we learn out a preference for monetary payment as opposed to lashes from Chovel B'chavero? It's because we had an option. Ma Chovel B'chavero de Malkot. There was an option with personal injury law. We could have inflicted lashes on the person who injures his fellow, or we could impose monetary payments, fines, restitutions. And we chose Mamona Mishalem, Malka Lolake. We chose that the person would actually have to pay money rather than being lashed. Therefore, any time we have a conflict between money and lashes, we pick money. To which the Gemara says, no, actually, that's not a, that's not a good analogy. And it gives two reasons. Chovel b'chavero has a unique aspect. Someone who injures his fellow must pay up to five things. Nezek, payment for the permanent damage caused. Tsar, payment for suffering. Ripui, medical costs. Shevet, 
the time off from work, and Boshet, the embarrassment experienced by the person. Since there are here five payments, it can't be that personal injury law could serve as the basis on which we derive all other conflicts between monetary payments and lashes. And furthermore, vi mamona lakula, if we say that the choice to inflict fines rather than lashes is in fact a leniency, and we should extrapolate from that leniency, shekain hutar michalo and this is a little bit of a difficult phrase to translate literally, but what it basically means is that the court is actually given the obligation to impose lashes in certain cases rather than monetary fines. So therefore, personal injury law cannot serve as the basis, either because it's too stringent, too many monetary payments are being imposed here, or if we wanted to say, in fact, money is more lenient and that's unique and we should learn from it, actually we learn that that's not true across the board because the court is required to impose lashes in some cases. So we try again. Ella. And Ella always answer, always introduces a new answer to a previously asked question. Ella, Gemar me'idim zomamin. Maybe Ula learned it out from the case of edim zomamin. These are witnesses that are that are conspiring to lie on the stand together in order to try to get somebody convicted of a crime that he didn't commit. That's what edim zomamin are: perjurers. So ma edim zomamin de'ikamamunu malkud. We had the option when it came to these perjuring witnesses of inflicting a monetary fine on them, or in all cases to inflict lashes on them. And mamonu mishalem, we choose to fine them monetarily, milkalolake, rather than lashing them. Afkal hechadeikamamunu malkud mamonu mishalem milkalolake. That we can extend that to all other cases where there is such a conflict. The Gemara here has problems. That there's a unique aspect of perjury in which we don't actually give a formal warning to them. In fact, how could we? We didn't know that they were lying up front. And remember, formal warning, formal warning actually is there in order to tell the person, hey, if you do this, you're going to get this specific punishment. But when it comes to perjuring witnesses, the Torah says, Ka'asher zamam la'asot la'achiv. As they, that you do to them as they had planned to do to the person that they're, that they're lying about. So it could be the death penalty. It could be lashes. It could be money. We don't know. So we can't formally warn them properly. And since that's a unique aspect of aiding zamamin, we can't then extrapolate from it to other cases. And if we flip it and we say, v'imamona l'kulahu, right? But... Infli- choosing to inflict a monetary punishment as opposed to lashes is uniquely lenient, so let's extrapolate from that. And this is actually easier to understand than the previous one. just means they haven't done anything physical, right? That their crime was to use words, to use their mouth in order to try to get uh, somebody falsely accused of something. And so therefore the choice here to inflict money rather than lashes is a f- could be a fact based on the fact that they haven't done anything physical here other than speech. Okay, so the Gemara says, fine, neither of these two areas of law, personal injury law or perjuring witnesses, 
are sufficiently strong to derive from them to all other cases, but maybe we can combine them. Rather, he learns from both of them. Right, that the common aspect, means the common aspect between the two cases is that there was a choice whether we would lash them or whether we would make them pay a monetary fine. And we make them pay the monetary fine. Rather than inflicting lashes on them. So maybe we should extrapolate from that to all other cases of conflict. The Gemara, of course, as it has been doing up to this point in all of these cases, rejects this. It says, in fact, that that cannot be um, learned from them. Now, why, in fact, is that? It's going to reject it basically the same way it rejected the first two individually. Right, that the shared aspect, the tzad hashavashavahen, is not unique because each of those two cases also had a tzad chamor, had a more stringent aspect. Remember, personal injury law had the more stringent aspect insofar as it had five different monetary payments rather than just one. And Adim Zomamin had as its more stringent aspect that you didn't have to warn them before you actually give them a punishment. That's stringent in the sense that we try to protect people from getting punishments by warning them first. But Adim Zomamin, perjurers, cannot be sufficiently warned. In addition, we just flip it the other way. right? If, if monetary payment is a unique leniency, and therefore that's unique enough that we should learn it across the board, each of these two cases had unique aspects pushing us to want to actually apply the more lenient thing. So we can't say it's a general preference for leniency of money over lashes, but rather each of these two cases had a lenient aspect that that made us want to impose the more lenient punishment. Okay, so much for the analogical reasoning. We're not, the Gemara gives up on that side and tries to move to a scriptural reasoning side. And here's where things get even more interesting. Ella, Rather, says the Gemara, Ula tachat tachat gemar, that Ula actually learns it out from a Gezerah Shava. And this is classic Gezerah Shava language when it uses the same word two times in a row with gemar. It means we're going to learn a Gezerah Shava. Now, what's a Gezerah Shava? A Gezerah Shava is usually, not always, but usually when the same word appears in two different verses, and we say that we can apply something that is true about the institution described in one verse to the other verse because they are linked with the same word. Sometimes the Gemara has conceptual Gezerashavas, but here it's a linguistic Gezerashava, the same word used in two different verses. So what are they? Ketiv hacha, it's written here. Tachat ina, and this is the verse from Deuteronomy 22.29 that forms the basis of the monetary fine for Tfusa for abduction, what the rabbis understand as rape. And it says the word tachat appears there. Uchtiv hatam, and it is written in a different verse. And this is the verse ayin tachat ayin, the very famous verse 
an eye for an eye. That appears both in Exodus 21 and in Leviticus. Either way, it doesn't matter really which one it's quoting here. But it says, by personal injury law, ayin tachat ayin, an eye for an eye. So that word tachat appears both by personal injury law, ayin tachat ayin, and in the case that we were discussing, where the choice was either to beat, lash the abductor, or make him pay a fine. And it says, tachat in place of or for that which he afflicted her. And therefore, we can say, mahatam, just as in the case of personal injury law, he has to pay money at, rather than receiving lashes. Af, and here we have a different version in some manuscripts, but I'll go with the printed edition for now. Af kol Any time, i.e. any case in the entire Torah, where there's a conflict between money and lashes, i.e. imposing a fine or giving lashes, one must pay money rather than impose lashes. Now, that's a little bit crazy what just happened here. It's, it's stunning, in fact. Earlier, the Gemara said, we can use personal injury law as the basis because it has either a stringency, namely the stringency that there are five different things that one must pay, or a particular leniency that applies to it, why we would choose money over lashes. So we can use it analogically as the basis to learn out a general rule of whether we prefer fines or lashes. Here, however, simply because the word tachat was used in each of those two verses, we go back and we use the very institution that we said could not be used logically. Now, there's two possibilities here. I'm going to reject one of them, and I'm going to prefer another one. But I'll tell you both that I can think of. One possibility is simply to say that once a proof is linked to a scriptural derivation, a gezerah shava, then no matter how logically weak it is, it is nevertheless ironclad. Now, I find that totally unsatisfying, since it turns scriptural analysis into an arbitrary language game. There's no logic to it. It's still as weak as it was when we wanted to use it for analogy. But because tachat is in one verse and tachat is in another verse, that's good enough. I find that tremendously unsatisfying. So I'm going to suggest something else. Remember, we saw that both the analogies, from personal injury and from perjury, they had logical weaknesses. But just because something has a logical weakness doesn't necessarily mean that you can't learn something from it it just means it's not ironclad. Therefore, perhaps by having recourse to a Gezerah Shava that returns personal injury law to its place as the base for learning the preference for fines over lashes, the Talmud is simply arguing that when no perfect logical argument exists, we can use scriptural hints to help assuage our logical concerns. As always, I'm interested in what you think. Do you find that compelling? Do you think it's a stretch? Leave comments on jcastnetwork.org. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.